The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Picking toffees out of our teeth. Newcastle get back-to-back wins. Second Dan in from Brighton. Ashworth resigns. And cult heroes. Is Bruno the next cab off the rank? Yes, hello, I'm Taylor Payne. This is Pod on the Tyne and bloody hell, Newcastle have won again. What is going on? I don't know how to describe this sensation that I'm currently feeling in my pants, but it's one of excitement. That's all I know. <laughs> That's all I know. Um, we're going to be saying hello to the Athletics Newcastle United correspondent Chris Woff and senior writer George Corkin in just a moment. But before we do anything else, we were all at the match last night, so let's relive it as it happened. We've got Paddy Boyland here, our Everton reporter, who's here for the game. What is the mood in the Everton camp going into Watford? Newcastle is an absolutely massive evening. Yeah, it's, it's pretty buoyant, to be honest, as I know it is on the Newcastle side. A couple of months ago, the same couldn't have been said uh, in the doldrums of it with Rafa Benitez, but his replacement, Frank Lampard, he's, he's brought a, an energy and enthusiasm to things. Started really well at the weekend in the FA Cup against Brentford, obviously with a 4-1 win. I'm playing in a different, kind of more progressive, more ag- aggressive way. So uh, Everton come here in good spirits, but obviously wary of the threat that a resurgent Newcastle as well posing. And, at, a, at St James' Day, I imagine it's going to be banged up for it tonight. Score prediction? A draw. I'll sit on the fence to go 1 1. I'm going 2 1, Newcastle. So just one on the ground now, after that mid feeling slightly nervous. Uh, this is a massive game, as are all the games now, leading at the end of the season. Bruno on the bench, but it'll be great to see him at some point. Fingers crossed, three points for Newcastle. But who knows with this team? It depends which Newcastle turns up, to be honest. Oh, God. So team news is here at St. James's Park, and the big news is there's no Bruno Guimaraes in the starting 11. He is on the bench, which has seemed to come to a lot of disappointment on social media. But the midfield ahead of the game, the same one that started the match at Leeds, and arguably Sean Longstaff is unfortunate to miss out. Actually, there's no Dan Byrne, the Jordy in the starting lineup either. The only debutant is Matt Target. The Castles 11 only has one change from the win at Leeds. Hopefully they can replicate that and get another victory tonight. It's hey Jude. It's noisy. It's nervous. There are a lot of flags in the uh, leaders end for once. Looking good. And uh, here come the teams. New boost for Everton there. I don't know. Feels like a big one. Feels like a very big one. Gordon that takes the in swinger. It takes a touch off Keane and Holgate denied, but the ball goes in. It's an own goal. And Everton lead at St James's Park. Trippier. And they do, it's come off the bar and gone in. Lascelles involved. 
James's Park. Oh my God, what a couple of minutes. Seven go one end and score. And then Newcastle come straight down the other end and score again. I have no idea who scored either of the goals. I've got a feeling Jamal Lascelles might have scored both of them. I, I don't know what's going on. But uh, this game's so wide open. My God. Half time, 1-1, and a game absolutely devoid of quality, which has been decided so far by two own goals inside two minutes of one another, and basically two terrible pieces of defending. Everton have had 60% of the ball, Newcastle have not done anything with it, Newcastle have had very little possession, but on the rare occasion they do go forward, the final ball is lacking. Joe Linton has just done one of the worst things I've ever seen in a football pitch, and really it is a nervy affair. I'm supposed to be telling you about the mood of the crowd, the atmosphere and all the rest of it, but I'm sorry, Jalinton took a shot and it hit his own fucking head. Oh God, it's so nervy. You can see both teams don't want to lose this, but who knows, who knows what's going to happen. Deli Alley, robbed by Joe Willock, picks out Wood. Now Joel Linton, Sam Maximan for the byline, lofts it in and turned in by Ryan Fraser. An eruption of an emotion at St James's Park. It's Trippier. Trippier's bossed that free kick in. Oh my god, what a finish. Oh. St James's Park going crazy again. Oh, amazing stuff. Oh, amazing. What a noise. It's been so tense last 10 minutes. Kieran Trippier, what a legend you are. Wow. Some Maxima. What a run. Sets up Murphy, Murphy to finish it, the post denies him, Willock, and Pickford denies him. <laughs> How good has St Maximum been? United 3, Everton 1, an absolutely massive three points for Newcastle United who move out of the relegation zone. Just one point and a place behind Everton now, dragging Everton really back into the, the mire there. A superb second half display. Goals initially from Ryan Fraser, got the first one, and then Kieran Trippier, the wonderful free kick. Bruno Guimaraes also came on for his debut right at the very end, but really this was an Alan Sant Maximan and Joe Willock inspired uh, victory. Huge three points. Relief inside St James's Park, just absolutely massive. As usual, the Newcastle players are still on the pitch after the final whistle. Sound of Hey Jude in the background. My God, it's been noisy tonight. My God, what an important victory that is. Anson Maxima putting his hands in the shape of the heart, looking up into the crowd. And Jesus, dear and trippier, what a player and what a performance. What a massive night that is. It's been so noisy, so tense, so noisy. And the final whistle, that was celebrated like a goal. Wow. This crowd is buzzing. The new signing seems to have lifted everybody already. And uh, oh, I can't wait to see more of this team. It feels good. It feels so good. Come on, United!
lads. Goosebumps, eh? Hello. How are we doing, George? Are we good? Well, 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 well. Yes. Who would have thought it? Two wins in a row. Does this Is this what a normal football club... Is this what happens? I don't know. Is this what happens in football? Is this a footballing thing? How do we... This is football, apparently. It's football. Astonishing. It's amazing. Astonishing scenes. You could hear, I think, in our voices just how astonished we were last night, couldn't you? I was as astonished as a newt. <laughs> yes, I bet you were. Yeah, I bet you were. What scenes? What scenes of triumph and glory? Incredible. Chris, how uh, how are you doing? You enjoy yourself last night as well? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I still feel that sort of buzz. You can still feel that energy there was last night, which hasn't been... Although the stadium's been wonderful since uh, the, the takeover. I wasn't there for the Burnley game, so that's the first win I've experienced at St. James's Park all season, the first with fans that I've experienced or with, with a full stadium, I think, since it must be January 2020. So for me, that was that was wonderful to be there and be part of that as well. And yeah, just, just absolutely buzzing. I can only imagine what I was in the press box. So I can only imagine what it was actually like for you guys in the, within the crowd itself. Absolutely sensational atmosphere in the crowd and everybody was up for it. And, you know, we've talked a couple of times about there's been these false starts that we've had with the club since the takeover and we've been waiting for that moment when we finally feel like it's here. And last night it finally felt like it was here, didn't it, George? I mean, the noise in that ground at full time was just incredible. Well, no, I was in the Platinum Club, so most people next to me were asleep. Prawn sandwiches at the ready. Yeah, gold plated earmuffs on. Yeah. yeah, no, even there, I have to say, it was, it was, uh, it was just brilliant. Yeah, and those scenes at the end, it was, it was so noisy. I mean, it was so tense as well. That was the other thing. I mean, that's why it was so noisy. But you know, you had those two things together, and it's, it's weird how, you know, I think we all felt that sense of relief after Leeds, and it felt like that was the moment. But by the time last night came around again, my God, the tension had built up again, and it sort of. You, I mean, you kind of understand it why, but there was Leeds, then they've signed all those players, that's all great, that's all, but I suppose it was the key thing, and um, yeah, Jamal Lassell said in the programme notes last night, in some ways that was a, it was a bigger game than Leeds, because Leeds only matters if you then follow it up with another one, and Newcastle have not done that, and um, yeah, so you had that big release of tension again, and I think finally, you know, it just finally feels like maybe there's momentum behind the team and um, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But yeah, just just really good and just such noise and such so many really good performances and just that sense of everybody in it together again. Brilliant, brilliant. It's fantastic. Um, Chris, Kieran Trippier, let's be honest, what a performance that was. He was the catalyst, wasn't he, for everything. His leadership on the pitch as well, dragging players through the game with him. And he was at the heart of everything good about Newcastle last night. What a brilliant performance that was from him. I think we saw last night everything that we hoped that we would see when Kieran Trippier signed. We all were very positive about the signing. He was seen to be almost a statement signed in many ways that he was leaving Atletico Madrid, had won the La Liga title last year, started the Euro 2020, a player who's one of the best players in his position in the world coming to a team who were in the relegation zone and that he was going to drag everyone's level up. And I think in the first few matches we'd seen a hint of that. I think that it'd take him a little bit of a bed in poo, but last night was the real effect of what he can bring. He was cool, coolness personified throughout, the composure he shows, the position he takes up, the decisions he makes on the ball. A lot of the ball goes through him. He has the majority of the touches in the team but so much goes through him because he's so influential his set pieces 
the way that he he was actually physically lifting his play the players up and telling them what to do, receiving it. He was actually coming across because the press box is obviously right behind where Eddie Howe's. He comes across to the pre- to, to where Eddie Howe's to receive instructions to then give out onto the pitch. He is his voice on the pitch, and obviously the wonderful free kick to top it all off. So I think Kieran Trippier just yeah, absolutely top class performance. And when you say physically lifted his players, he physically lifted two of his teammates out of the back of the net once Everton scored the goal he and it sounds like a tiny little thing but he was the person that did that and he got the ball and he got everyone together and having that having that loud voice on the pitch is so important it's something that Newcastle have not had traditionally for a long long time or had it in very short supply and it was just and and he was scrapping as well i mean he was physically not far away from from scrapping and you know it was a feisty game by the end of it but he was he was he was right in the mix of it. It just had everything. His performance, the, the free kick, was just astonishingly good. But there was there was a there was a great moment when someone near me shouted loudly, "How have we got him?" And and it's you know it's it's lovely. And you know he that in some ways that's that you know that that it's it's such a powerful story. The fact that he's joined Newcastle at this moment, you know, when he is at the peak of his powers. And he's he can see something, you know. A lot of people would say that's you know it's about the money and stuff like that. But he wanted to come back to the Premier League for for personal reasons, for family reasons, back to the north. And he's he's like all in. He said that in his interview with Alan Shearer. He's all in, and I love it. You know, I love it. What a performance! He was incredible, and and he seems to have settled in really quickly with his teammates as well. There was a lovely little moment. Uh, while he was being interviewed after the game with uh, Ryan Fraser, we can have a little listen to that now. Here he is, first goal in how long, Green? How happy he is? No, I'm taller than you, Fraser. These things are oh, important. Fantastic. It's the little things. It's the little things. But actually, Ryan Fraser in his club interview mentions that the, the the physical height of the two of them, but he refers to the fact that he he calls uh, Kieran Trippier a monster. He says he fe- in, in terms of what he brings to the team, and he, he you can see how genuine Fraser is when he's talking about the the impact that Trippier has had behind the scenes as well. So it's not just what we see on the pitch; it's also what he has brought uh, in the round behind the scenes at the club. He's been massive for everyone. Yeah, his character is really shining through, isn't it? And it, and it's great to have some more vocal uh, leaders on the pitch as well. And Jamal Lassell stepping it up again as well. well. We'll mention him in a little bit. It was good to see him kind of a bit more sort of back to the way we know he can be, um, hassling his teammates and dragging people through the game as well. Uh, one of those people that he hassled, Alan Sam Maximan, finally adding a little bit of uh, substance to the style, shall we say. Over the last couple of weeks, he's had a few t- tough moments, but my God, he turned it on last night, didn't he, George? He was all over the place, and and uh, Frank Lompard said he was unplayable at times last night. And he had some tough moments last night. He had some tough moments in that game too, and he was targeted, and he got some treatment, and there was there were bits of it where he was very unhappy, and there were people, again, people around me sort of imploring him to kind of get up on his feet, and but he did. He kept coming back for more. And he will be such an important player with Callum Wilson now. I mean, a lot of our kind of conversations on on the podcast, but also kind of to, you know together just chatting, have been about where did the goals come from, and you know there's a bit of an answer. There was a bit of an answer last night. I mean, obviously you can't rely on own goals every game or full back scoring goals, but um, you know he is such a threat. And one of the really encouraging things. I mean, it's a slightly different point, but. 
one of the really encouraging things was how Newcastle spotted a weakness in a, in the opposition. I don't know if you sort of noticed, but every time Jordan Pickford, bless him, had the ball, he was targeted. I mean, Everton were targeted because they wanted to try and play it out. And Newcastle were up the pitch and they forced mistakes out of Everton. And it's very unusual to see Newcastle forcing mistakes out of somebody out of another team as opposed to the other way around. Um, so, yeah, very encouraging all round. But, yeah, some maximum like that. It's just such such a treat. He is. And, and there's there's times as well when he can be frustrating and he doesn't always make the right decisions. But last night he, he contributed brilliantly for that Ryan Fraser goal, didn't he, Chris? He, he absolutely showed a clean pair of heels to the fullback uh, and left him for dead and then put a lovely little ball across and Fraser tucks it away. It's great seeing him do that. And I, I just... I love seeing him doing it and I want to see it all the time. I want to see it every week from him because he's he's so capable. Yeah, he is. And, and what was the difference in the second half last night? The first half, I thought, were two. Was we saw two teams lacking quality. The only two players in the pitch in the first half were really showed anyway. Anthony Gordon for Everton, who was probably the best player on the pitch in the first half. And then Alan Sam Maximan in spells for Newcastle during the first half. It didn't quite hit from first half. But then second half, the difference between the two teams was whereas Everton remained ponderous in possession, lacking sort of creativity or idea what they were going to do with it. Newcastle added intensity and they added a directness. You saw it from Alan St. Maximan in particular carrying the ball upfield. Ryan Fraser to a certain extent. Joe Willock at points really actually got a hold of the ball after a difficult first half. I don't think he was great first half but second half. He was effective in that role. And you had so many different people. Joe Linton carried the ball a bit better in the second half as well. He added that sort of intensity. And that was the difference between the two teams. Newcastle had purpose in what they were trying to do during the second half. And Alan St. Maximan was the key to that. They did not know how to deal with them. He was dragging players out of position. Uh, he, was, he was getting cross into the box and you just hope that he can keep keep on doing that because he has been so crucial under Eddie Howe. There was a lot of talk when Eddie Howe first came in as Alan St. Maximan, will he work hard enough? Will he be what Eddie Howe wants? But Eddie Howe, like Steve Bruce before him, recognises that if you can get St. Maximan to deliver, he can give you something that nobody else in this squad can. And, that, that, and then we saw that second half and he probably was the difference between the two teams. Yeah, certainly. The, the chap sat next to me um, was constantly shouting, put the shits up them every time he got the ball, which I thought was excellent <laughs> because that's what he did. He put the shits up them every time he got the ball. Um, let's have a little chat about a couple of the other new guys as well. I would love to um, single out Matt Target for a bit of praise because I thought he had a really good debut at left back. Solid. He, ba- he barely put a foot wrong all night. Um, and bless him, running those overlaps every single time on St. Maximum when he knows he's not going to get the ball and then doing it again and again and again. He just kept going, kept going. And then he trotted back to fullback, quite happy with what he was doing. I thought he was great last night, Matt Target, George. Yeah, and that's one of those things. I mean, those positions on the wings, it's all about partnerships, isn't it? It's all about relationships and it can those relationships can cover up a multitude of sins. I mean, if we think back to Gutierrez and Enrique, who were kind of really good on that side, they both had flaws to their games, but together they worked really well. And we don't sort of talk about that enough, those sort of partnerships across a pitch. I thought Target, I mean, playing behind St. Maximat is not an easy thing to do. I mean, especially not in your first match, which is such a crucial game. And I, you know, I thought I thought I thought that side was being targeted a bit by Everton at the start. But no, I agree. I think he I think they, they they work really well together, and he he did. He put that shift in, and you hope that that's the start of you hope that that's the start of something. Again, we, we, absolutely, I, I I accept that point with some Maximan. There are times when 
he has to pass the ball, you know, he has to pass the ball and he doesn't. Um, but equally, that sense of unpredictability about what he can do um, is what makes him such a, you know, is, is what makes him such a strange. But no, I, I, I thought Target, I thought that was a really, really solid and encouraging performance for his, for his first game in particular. Chris, Chris Wood as well had the ball in the net, but it was uh, disallowed for offside. What did you think of him last night? I thought he he showed signs of the player that he is, and 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 he was in good positions. He had a chance where the ball was uh, nodded down to Pickford, and it was quite a weak effort on goal. But he's getting in the right positions, and you've got to think the goals are going to come eventually. He looks to me still like a striker short of confidence in terms of in front of goal. He's looked like that in, in, in the few games. He was hesitant at Leeds. He was in better positions last night and in terms of that actual finish. I mean, the one that was in the net basically bounced off him. I don't think he knew that much about it, but he had followed in. He was definitely offside. It was rightly ruled out. But in terms of his all-round player, I think that we'd started to see him bring more at Leeds. And then last night, I think he was crucially won a lot of balls in the air. He dragged players out of position. Again, he was a willing runner in behind and dragging people out of position. So he's that focused point which I thought Everton lacked Newcastle had that and Everton didn't have it and, and you could see that they were crying out for, for, for someone like Dominic Carvalhoon Richarlison didn't seem interested for large parts of the game they didn't have someone to really play off and, and Newcastle have that they can go long if they need to but they're not going long all of the time which is which was the concern if you bring in someone like Chris Wood so yeah I still think he looks short of confidence in front of goal but I think what he's bringing all around Eddie Howe will be very pleased with because he, he is that focal point which they're desperately required George, we have to talk about it. You mentioned it in your uh, in your recording at the game there. Um, one of the funniest things I think I might have ever seen at St James's Park. Bless the poor lamb that is Joe Linton. He had a shot, <laughs> and and what happened to that shot, George? Well, I've I've watched it so many times, and I <laughs> something happens. I think something happens. The ball is crossed in. He's stretching. There's a there's a. It looks to me like a toe stub. And then what happens is a wormhole opens into another dimension and Jolinton sort of goes half in out it and he sort of sees in this other dimension there's all these five-headed crocodiles battling with <laughs> robot warriors and he doesn't fancy that so he tries to drag himself back in and then it's defied all physics. It defies all physics and all logic but I've explained why that happened and he tries to take a shot and it fucking smacks him in the face. <laughs> that's I mean that's the only explanation there is for it because it doesn't make any yeah. sense. I've watched it so many I've watched it so many times. And at the time it happened, I couldn't work out I could not work out what it was that I'd seen. That's what I mean. That's why there's been yeah. some sort of wormhole. But I did turn to my left and there was this big row of seats and it was there was there was one lass, it was mainly lads, it was mainly sort of older fellows, it was the it was the Platinum Club, and I swear to God everybody was just there with their head in their hands and somebody just shouted there was what we, we Chris and I wrote about last last night's match I've never seen so many people with their head in their hands and there was just one this one gigantic shout of fuck <laughs> in some ways it's it's hard oh. to it's it's unfair to labor that point oh. because he did play very well again I thought um he again did. second half you look at a lot of the stats he was that he was the sort of driving midfielder you know tackles and interceptions and he has been reinvented 
to that position. Again, it it sort of just staggers me when we think back a couple of years to to him being bought as a as a forward because there's just absolutely no composure there. He doesn't he gets into those positions and doesn't look like a footballer. I can't but he's but he's he's you know, he played a he played a big part in last night's game and that miss didn't matter, but it was astonishing, wasn't it? Absolutely astonishing. It was amazing. I had literally just popped to the toilet just before that, and as I'm coming back up the stairs, I can see Newcastle attacking. I'm walking back up to my seat, and I got in my row, and as I'm in my row working my way along, that happened, and the guy, uh, and I turned to the guy next to me and went, what happened there? And he went, it hit him in his own face. He, Joe Linton's just hit himself in the face with the ball. And I went, all right, that makes sense. And then sat down. <laughs> I completely missed it during the game, but he's hit himself in, in the The face. angle from the press box, you're seeing directly, basically, in, into the line of where Joe Linton is. And, and when the ball comes across from Sam Maxima, he, I, you could see, I, I, I was trying to work out what he was doing because you could see he wasn't following the line of the ball. He wasn't actually getting behind it to shoot. And then it's he has to stick his leg out because he, he's almost run past the ball. And then it was it was just, everyone, everyone on the ground was just looking like, what the heck is going on here? It was It was... Astonishing, but no, he was he was good all round, and and I just want to, in terms of that sort of defensive solidity, what's been interesting, I think, over the course of the the last couple of games is since about the tenth, fifteen minutes against Leeds when Dubravka saved, I think it was from Dan James. Dubravka hasn't really had a save to make for Newcastle in those last two matches. Obviously, there was the own goal, which was which was easier. But Newcastle have actually been in those two matches, haven't conceded a, a lot of opportunities, and that isn't with a new centre back pairing. That is still the same centre backs who were there before Dan Byrne still to come in. So I think that was encouraging as well. That it's, I mean, we've got a factor in that Everton were terrible, and Everton, I think, to me, it looks like the backside could fall out of that side because I, they they lacked a lot. And and they really are being dragged back into it, but still, that I don't want to take away anything from Newcastle because I think all round the entire team, certainly second half, really did perform well. Absolutely. And uh, Eddie Howe was asked uh, what he was most happy about after the game. Lots of different things. I think coming back from a goal down, um, the spirit in the group, um, the togetherness, the fight shown on the pitch, mm-hmm. um, and the quality at times as well. Because I thought second half. Um, we created a lot of chances and, and um, you know, it was a little bit nervy at the end because you, you're desperate for the points, but we had a two-goal cushion and that, that was nice because we haven't had that for a while. Yeah, massive relief, I think, from everyone connected with the club. I mean, again, the atmosphere today was just electric. Can't thank the supporters enough and hopefully they enjoyed what they saw today. I thought they saw a team that was fully committed, mm-hmm. playing with heart and um, some quality as well. Eddie Howe rightly uh, praising the fans there as well for their part in, in last night's uh, victory. I thought the crowd were, were sensational throughout, to be honest. There was there was times in that game when, when Everton went ahead, but the crowd noise was there uh, and the flag display as well before the game, I thought, was was beautiful. And, and a Bruno flag as well. Did we see that pop-up, chaps? The new flag for Bruno? Hadn't even been on the pitch yet and we've made a flag for the lad. Benvindo <laughs> Bruno, like yes, get, very nice. Yeah, we like to get our uh, hopes up, don't we? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we did have a few questions um, from subscribers as well. And I say questions. Michael S. Uh, sent us uh, an essay <laughs> telling us about his night. Um, it's brilliant. I haven't got time to read the whole lot. I'm sorry, Michael, I would love to, but it's a Danny Boyle-esque intro to, a, to the question is basically, can it be like this every week, please? Well, that's the dream, isn't it? I mean, that is the dream. Two in a row, though, and it's it's it is the, it's the first time they're out of the bottom three for 129 days. I think we we worked out it's the first time post post takeover to 
and just that feeling yeah that feeling of belonging to something and that feeling of being part of something and as you say Taylor the crowd the crowd I mean it's the easiest thing in the world to tickle the belly of Newcastle fans because um, by and large you know by and large they've been been coming throughout and throughout the some pretty terrible times but yeah and I mentioned Jordan Pickford earlier um, I do think you know I do think the crowd got got to Everton and I don't I don't think that happens everywhere and I don't think it happens every week and it's certainly not happened every week at Newcastle because it's been difficult to come to Newcastle and watch and that reputation of Newcastle fans of being noisy and being loud and being raucous and passionate although in terms of turning up you know it's it's still been there there's not been things for for for, for the crowd to buy into it's so amazing being back in that stadium and it, having your ears absolutely battered for 90 minutes and it's what it should be like and it hasn't been like that and so to have that back again is just it's just it's just brilliant brilliant there was a there was a clip going around on twitter this week actually and it was ben foster the uh, the watford goalkeeper i don't know if you saw this clip but he was saying he was asked the question which is the you know the premier league the best premier league ground to play in and he said st james's park when they're all up for it and something's gone against them is just oh yeah terrifying yeah and I, he's right there's nothing nothing hell hath no fury like fifty two thousand Geordie scorned you know it is it is a terrifying place to play football I'd imagine when <laughs> when we're doing well and when we're coming at you like that I mean God I, I I don't know how some of the players handle it and I I agree with you massively George I think Jordan Pickford struggled again uh, playing against Newcastle it seems to get into his head and he there's just something snaps isn't there and he was. He was flapping all over the place at times last night. Yeah, yeah. Chris, Aaron Kay has asked, how important was it to win last night while still having Byrne and Bruno to add to the side? It must be a boost uh, to the confidence of some of the old guard and also without Callum Wilson there as well. It was. It's huge, but I think it's also... It, it's really encouraging to, to see that because... How was interesting after the match because there'd been a bit of a discussion in the press room before the game week whether Bruno was going to start and, and I was of the opinion that he probably wouldn't. A lot of people thought that that he would because the crowd would have wanted him to be there. But how was interesting after the match? He said, "Look, he basically said that Bruno they're very excited by and he can come in and bring a lot." But equally, he was going to, he wanted to reward the players who'd served him so well at Leeds. He mentioned Sean Longstaff said he was very unlucky not to be in the team. He, he said he also said that the new players have to earn their place in the side. So whereas Obviously, Matt Target's come straight into the team because Paul Dummett's injured. Kieran Trippier's come straight into the team because he is such a, a class maybe before what they had before. Other players, it increases the competition, and that's what that's what the best managers want. They want they want competition. He doesn't just want to have brought in players who just automatically go into the eleven because they're so much better than the others. He wants it to improve everyone's level, and I think that that's what you're seeing. You're seeing some of the other players step up from it, and hopefully Dan Byrne comes into the side and brings a different dimension. Hopefully Bruno comes in and brings a different dimension as well but they're going to have to fight to earn that place and it, it has seemed to step up the level of others knowing that there's that competition and that is that is what you you want to raise everyone's level that is the point of what Eddie Howe is trying to do what the club has tried to do in January and hopefully we saw the first sight of that over the last couple of matches and that that just continues it was a lovely little uh, a lovely little cameo from Bruno though wasn't it George it was nice to see him get on the pitch for that last five minutes and a couple of cheeky touches a back heel here and a, a through ball there and he, he, the lad's not lacking in confidence is he let's be honest no he came on and made an impact straight away you could see he was desperate too oh, um, yeah. on the sidelines warming up and the crowd were desperate for him to come on as well and again that's just a lovely you know that's a, it's a lovely moment I mean I think 
you know, he 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 is he is the future. That is the idea. Um, you know, he's the club that Newcastle want to be, are striving to be. He's um, he's young. He was coveted by other people. Again, persuading him to come to the club feels very important. And as the club hopefully grows and gets better, he is the kind of you know he's the kind of player that they want to attract. I mean, you know that that thing last night. Again, we were talking about Trippier. Trippier is very much about the now. I mean, he's thirty-one. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, he's 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 got two and a half year contract, and hopefully, he can lift Newcastle to where they want to be. But at thirty-one, he's not the future, is he? I suppose is the point. And Newcastle can't wait, can't wait to get to the future. And we saw glimpses that Bruno is, is that. And so, yeah, very encouraging, very exciting. Absolutely. Um, Charlie E and Stephen P both asked pretty much the same question, which is, are Kieran Trippier's calf issue? Do we know the extent of the injury yet, Chris? I asked how about it after the match, and he referred to it as a slight calf problem. Trippier himself, at the time, he immediately pulled up. He signalled to the bench that he wanted to come off. He also made a sort of gesture as if to say... Oh, just not my microphone up there, sorry. <laughs> he made a gesture. He made a gesture as if to say, I've just knocked my microphone over. Wow. He did, that's, yeah. He did. That's that he, multiverse again, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> sneaking up on you <laughs> but yeah uh, he made a gesture as if to say that he sort of something that something that tightened uh, is, in, is in within his muscle but Trippier within his club interview didn't it wasn't really mentioned how didn't mention it too much in other interviews so hopefully Touchwood it doesn't seem to be that serious at this moment in time and this is on the basis that I haven't had any more specific information on it today he was being assessed today I'd be surprised if he started on Sunday just on the basis that it's quite a quick turnaround for a muscle injury and then that would mean that Newcastle would potentially have to change both fullbacks because Matt Target is ineligible to play against his parent club um, so then you may see someone like Dan Byrne make his debut as a left back potentially Javier Mankio obviously came on for uh, Kieran Trippier has been playing well recently can play both sides so the, the fullbacks who were very very important to that win maybe certainly one of them is going to be changed on Sunday and, and maybe both of them lovely stuff yes that Villa game is going to come around quick isn't it George we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to get ourselves sorted for that that's, that's a, another big game uh, and another possible three points as well. You would you would think now Newcastle will go into that with confidence sky high and and looking to try and take another win. There's no reason why they shouldn't. It feels again, it feels like another big game. They've got um, you know they're unbeaten in four now. It's eight points from the last four matches. That's really encouraging. And suddenly you know the mood has changed and they have momentum behind them. They do have these new players coming in, and I you know I think we've seen seen glimpses of how they could play. And what they're gonna try and do it won't be easy because Villa have done, you know, have done well since Steven Gerrard's come in, come in there. But um, I don't think there's any reason to go into that to that game with trepidation anymore. That's that is the thing. I mean, I think by last by the time last night came around, we did feel trepidation again, and you could feel it in the stadium um, before the game and as the game was 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 being played. I don't think it should feel like that on Sunday, and that is. You know that is such a nice position to be in. Not at all trying to dismiss the situation that the team are in and have been in, but they've got momentum behind them, so it should be a positive occasion. Um, and yeah, very exciting, very exciting. I'm just saying, I'm just repeating the word exciting a lot. I realise at the end of every single <laughs> That's answer. Okay. Just keep um, I don't have the adjectives to be positive. I'm really sorry. I will do some homework. <laughs> Uh, just on the off chance that Newcastle yeah. win again, I'll get out my thesaurus. Happy, excited, positive. Yes, quite enjoying that. Fun, win, victory. Yes, nice. I'll I'll do some homework. I apologise. 
Right then, just before we uh, we crack on, it's uh, time to tell you, uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. You get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Uh, and a great glimpse uh, at last night's match via our lovely dynamic duo here, George Colgan and Chris Woff. Uh, there's a fantastic piece on there at the minute, so get stuck into that. Make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up now for a third off subscription. Right, okay, we've got an exclusive here on Pod on the Time for you now. Let's go live to Newcastle's recruitment team reaching out to Brighton. Dan! 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 Oh, wonderful stuff. Wonderful. Yes, that's right. Don Ashworth uh, looks like following his gargantuan namesake up the M23, round the M25 and up the M1 to Newcastle from Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, now, we had hoped to talk the Athletics' distinguished and excellent Brighton writer, Andy Naylor. Unfortunately, it's his day off today, so we're letting him off, uh, and we can do that because he's already summed up things brilliantly in writing. So do check that out on the website. Uh, Frederick F., a subscriber, has written in and asked, what can Dan Ashworth bring to Newcastle and how important is a man like him for the development of the club Chris what do we think well uh, although we can't get Andy Naylor on the show this week I have been in close contact with him over the course of the last few months not only obviously over Dan Ashworth but over Dan Burner and have been speaking about exactly what Dan Ashworth brought to Brighton and they are very reluctant to let him go that they were happy they they allowed him to speak to Newcastle um because that's what they do with the employees they're happy for them to to try and move on and progress if if they feel that's the right opportunity for them but also would like to keep them if possible and he, he was very very close um to to the ownership at Brighton and and the executive team there and essentially Dan Ashworth had six key responsibilities uh, at Brighton he was in charge of various different departments which he oversaw so basically all of them on the football side, the men's team, the women's team, the medical department, recruitment, uh, loan side and, and, and scout nothing. Oh, there may be, there may be, I may have missed one out there, but essentially he was in charge of those six departments and that's as a technical director was his position at Brighton. We're still trying to get exact details of what his position he's been offered at Newcastle's, whether it would be exactly a technical director, whether it's going to be a sporting director, director of football, they're all slightly different, but essentially his remit would be significant on the footballing side of things, and he would be seen as, not for the short term, he's not someone who's going to come in and going to say that, the, that uh, tell Eddie how, how the team should play or do things in the immediate term. He looks at the, the medium to long term future of the club, the direction it should be heading in, coordinated thinking about signing players. I mean, we mentioned Joe Linton earlier and, and the signing of Joe Linton there was no thought, press, th- thought processes in Newcastle as to how he was going to fit into the vision of the team long term that was just one player who was plucked and brought into the team instead it's, it's about coordinating that to, to bringing the academy uh, closer in to, 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 to basically streamline all of that and have someone overseeing every single department and seeing where the club can move to from where it is now to where it wants to be those lofty ambitions that we talked about Bruno coming in last week uh, and talking about Newcastle becoming a world power and 
winning the Champions League. If they're going to get anywhere near that, they need someone like Dan Ashworth of experience at West Brom. He had experience at England. He's had experience at Brighton. And he's very much about the long-term vision and about setting the foundations for the club to travel in that direction. And don't forget, Newcastle, you know, they have ambitions to build one of the best training grounds in the in the country. Dan Ashworth would be incredibly important in that. And as Chris says, linking up bits of the club that just have not been linked together. Um, I mean, it's funny. I wrote a, I wrote a column um, at the start of this week about Newcastle's history of sporting directors or directors of football. And it's, it's not been illustrious, to say the least, bearing in mind the last one was Joe Kinnear. Um, who managed not to make a permanent signing over the two windows that he was he was at the club, and then previously, Dennis Wise, and you can argue that you know the Dennis Wise Keegan sort of Ashley axis led to arguably the most toxic and and sort of worst most damaging season in the club's certainly recent history, and it is about it's about relationships now the idea at a at a club and. You know, it applies to Chelsea just like it should apply to to clubs lower down the the pyramid. You know, if you get if you get an injury in your first team, clubs should look behind them to see what's there, and there should be ready-made players now to come into the same position, knowing what the idea is in the first team. Newcastle have been so reactive. Newcastle have lurched from system to system. There's been no identity at all. You want Dan Ashworth to come in and help decide what sort of team do Newcastle want to be. How do they want to play? With Eddie Howe, there's obviously, you know, we have some idea about about his preferred style of football. Is that the Newcastle that it's going to be moving forward? Is that the same type of, you know, and what happens when Eddie Howe leaves? Who comes next? Is there a strategy in place so that the next head coach or manager plays in a similar kind of way? 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds within Newcastle system should be playing in the same kind of way. They should have the same identity. That word that gets used lots around football clubs, Newcastle have not had any identity over the last decade or more, apart from being shit. And, you know, I'm very excited about... I'm laughing, but it's not funny, is it? No, no, and I've said excited <laughs> again. But, um, but you know, that is the really sort of... That's the thing, you know, we know that St James's Park, we saw, we saw last night how loud and vibrant it can be as a venue how can a team how can a team reflect that how can the team reflect that can they be attacking and aggressive and blah 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 and he would have a huge role in that i mean it's such an important role but he has all the attributes and again the other thing that i would just very quickly point out ashley had the idea that latterly alan pardew needed some help needed help he needed a bridge between the first team and the ownership Someone who could, um, you know, could look after some of the bureaucratic things, take calls, look at signings. Uh, you know, the, that idea actually was in place in the season that they finished fifth. Um, it wasn't, you know, Kinnear didn't come until a year later. But the relation, you know, the relationships were wrong from the start. Same with Dennis Wise. Having that structure wasn't a bad idea. Um, but if you get the wrong people, and if you get people that don't have relationships that can't work with each other you're doomed from the start so that is really you know that you can't say how important that is that it's not just about the title it's not just about the structure um it's not about the individual people they have to work together and it has to be seamless the the one previous director of football that newcastle have had um barring those that nobody talks about is gordon milne 
who was Bobby Robson, so Bobby Robson's director of football. And it was a very different role back then, and really he was helping and supporting the manager. He had no designs on being manager himself, and it was a, ve it was a very successful point in the club's history because he and Bobby worked incredibly closely together. That's so important. It is, uh, and it, it, it can be so damaging if it's not done correctly and you don't bring the right people in. Uh, Chris, a significant uh, compensation package has been mentioned in, in reports. Um, any numbers? Do you know what we're talking with that? I don't know the exact specifics of the numbers, but basically Brighton have made it clear from the start that they were going to hold out for a significant compensation package. And I've seen a few Newcastle fans get a bit annoyed about this on social media. It was similar when there was a situation with 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 uh, Diego Carlos and also um, with Sven Botman. But you look at it from Brighton's point of view. Dan Ashworth has been a very important and significant player within their system. He's, he's moving to a rival Premier League club and contractually he has a gardening period to serve. Why should Brighton uh, just allow him to, to, to leave beyond when he hasn't served that to, to join up and help Newcastle potentially displace them in the top half of the Premier League next season if Newcastle don't meet the financial demands that they make. So I realise all the stuff that the people have about oh, other clubs are being greedy and things like that but Brighton, Newcastle are a direct competitor for Brighton in the Premier League and so they are they are playing hardball on it. They are still in negotiations Newcastle to try and end the gardening leave early because at the moment the, the, the suggestion is that that gardening leave could even go through the summer and into the start of next season which Newcastle certainly don't want they want Dan Ashworth in place well ahead of the summer to be able to start putting those found out foundations in place and work towards what will be a very important summer window regardless of the division Newcastle are in yeah Victor B wasn't taking any prisoners on the athletics real-time section just talking about uh, fans being slightly disgruntled by this Chris um, he's already left the building what difference does it make to him starting a new job it's not as if Newcastle are in a position to challenge Brighton this season and he'll be there by next season anyway what's to stop him working from home getting a head start on the job he's got in front of him can Brighton stop him visiting Newcastle for a look around meet the team etc if they don't need the money why are they discussing a severance package I mean you've covered a few of those points already Chris but you know, I can see why some Newcastle fans are not are not sure about this situation and want to know why Dan Ashworth can't get his can't get stuck into the job straight away. I, I, I can see that as well, but then I'd just say, well, Newcastle need to go and, and reach a negotiation with Brighton. If it was the other way around, if Dan Ashworth had been at Newcastle for years and was in this position, and it was Brighton coming from Newcastle fans would 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 want Newcastle to hold firm and get their their money, and that's it. It it. it I, I understand the frustration, I understand by people, but I, I also think you have to understand the reason why Brighton are playing hardball and the reason why Newcastle have tried to go and get Dan Ashworth is because Dan Ashworth is very good at what he does and that's why Brighton don't just want to let him go to Newcastle without at least getting significant compensation for that. I mean, I, I, it's, not, it's, not, it's not totally you know, unparalleled in other, in other industries. I had a three-month notice period in my previous job. And I had to sit. I had to kind of sit and wait for a couple of those months until, um, until we came up with a sort of we we came up with a plan between us. And so it's not it's not unusual in other in other businesses and in other industries. Um, and the thing is, as Chris says, you're going from you know you you're moving between rivals. I think that certainly up until this point, there's been a good relationship between Amanda Staveley and Paul Barber. They've you know I think they've worked together kind of quite well. Um, and but you know it's not it's not down to Brighton to do Newcastle favours here. And if he's got if if he has a notice period or if he has you know th that kind of thing in his contract, then Brighton are absolutely entitled to ask for ask for ask for comp compensation. I you know I would hope it gets sorted out as soon as possible because I think it needs to be. 
but um, you know that's up to that's up to the two clubs to come to a to come to an arrangement. Right, we are entering the autumn of this podcast, so let's crack on. Make sure you remember to subscribe to The Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Back in a jiff. So, Newcastle fans love taking overseas stars into our bosom, and we've had a few belters down the years, from the Robledo brothers through Mirandinia, Ginola, Kabai, Ben Arthur, right through to Alan St. Maximin. And some of the love for Bruno Guimaraes this week on the socials suggests he might be our next new fave. Uh, it's easy to say why we might grow fond of him. He's so lovely, isn't he? Uh, and here's his attempt at some English in an interview with the club's media. It's very, 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 very beautiful they stayed. I'm very happy to be here. So I'm anxious for look the supporters. Uh, that's it. I <laughs> 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 love him already. Love him already. He was he was watching Jalinton uh, shot. <laughs> oh, amazing! That point last night actually when he came on and he did that little back heel in the corner. Um, there was a guy sat just over my left shoulder who made what can only be described as a sex noise uh, and then went, oh, Bruno, you sexy Brazilian bastard, <laughs> which I thought was that lovely. Was so obviously you, Taylor. It wasn't me. <laughs> I wish it had been me. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we've had some belters over the years, haven't we? We've had some uh, players come in from overseas and, and who may not know may not understand Newcastle United when they first joined, but my God, they get to learn very quick, don't they? Uh, mentioned earlier on there, Ginola, Kabai, Ben Arfa. A lot of French players have come here and done quite well, haven't they, over the years, Chris? Uh, they have, and obviously... And a lot of French players have come here and done shit as well, Exactly. But so, actually, Newcastle's record with Brazilians hasn't been great either before. Uh, if you take out between Mirandina and up till now, I mean, there's been... But one who was referenced, actually, by Bruno was Claudio Cassini. Sapper. Amazing. Claudio Casapa apparently waxed lyrical about uh, Newcastle. And what I also found out at at Bruno's uh, unveiling on Monday, when he did also try to speak a bit, and his English is actually relatively decent, and I think he he learned French very quickly. I think he will learn English very quickly as well. But I actually found out that we've been saying Mirandinia wrong for basically the last 30-odd years. Apparently it's Mirandinja. It's like a ja at the end of the name. Mirandinja. yeah, basically, we've all said it wrong. The song wouldn't be as good, though, if it was that way, so we'll we've just stick got to, Mir- to Mir- G- Mirandinja. Mm, it still works. <laughs> He's not from Argentina. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. No, you're right. <laughs> it doesn't work, no, does it? You're right. It doesn't work. Oh, Claudio Casapa, there's a name from the past, George. Give him the name the East stand after him. Why not? If he's been this instrumental, give him a stand. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. No, very encouraging. <laughs> very encouraging. Uh, very encouraging start from uh, Bruno. I was in the pub before the match doing vital research for this piece. And the teams came out and there was a bit of disappointment um, that he wasn't in the starting line. It was, like, oh, why is he not starting? Why is he not starting? Why are they not starting Bruno? And the fellow that's, that this bloke was talking to said, I... And how do you pronounce his? How do you pronounce his name? And the first fellow just went, Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe you had to be there, but I found quite funny. Excellent. Uh, also, chaps, let's not forget. Ten years ago, this happened. 
Papis Demba Sisse, the new number nine. Inside the final 20 minutes, Gutierrez. This is Sisse! Debut goal, Papis Sisse! There we go. And congratulations to Papis Sisse, Demba Bar, and the whole of Senegal. And an absolutely monumental result this week in the African Cup of Nations. Right. Just quickly before we go, let's tie up some of these last couple of questions. Uh, Colin C, how's biggest dilemma is who does Bruno replace? My money uh, is for a 1-2 Shelby swap as his legs went after an hour and that will bamboozle them. No fear of Villa if we play to our strengths. What do we reckon, Chris? Do you, do you see Shelby being the natural make way for, for Bruno? I think over time, potentially, yeah, because I think... I mean, Bruno can play any of those. If it's a midfield three, he can play any of those positions, but you would have th- thought he will be the deeper lying one eventually. But on Sunday, I have to be honest, I'll be surprised if Bruno comes straight into the team. I think that, that it's likely to be either the same midfield or maybe even Sean Longstaff might come in slightly ahead of him because of that. I think Howe's going to take a little bit of time to integrate him in the team. Might be another week or two before he starts. Fair play. And George, just before we finish up, Michael B has said, can we build a time machine and just travel forward to 2025, please? Well, that's a great question, Michael. It's in fact, it's exactly what Chris and I, Chris and I, wrote about the, you know, the the feeling around the club over the past few weeks and months is that we can all feel the future of the club. We can all see it. We know what it means. Bruno talked about it when he signed. You know, this I've come here for it to be a big challenge. You know, to win the big titles, whatever it was he said. And of course, the present has been so miserable, except that in the last kind of couple of games and more. Where you know, we we Newcastle have shown that maybe they can deal with the present and maybe they can do it, and uh, you know, bit by bit, bit by bit, point by point, game by game, they get closer to being the club that everybody wants them to be. Right, and just before we go, a uh, friend of the podcast, Mr. Davy Craig, uh, has been <laughs> sitting in the studio uh, creating a song uh, called "We Are the Geordies," and I believe we've got a clip of our very own Chris Woff getting involved right now we are the Geordies loud and proud the greatest following come to St James's join the crowd and then you'll hear us sing we are the famous black and white Geordies one and all cheer on the lads and join the fight and then you'll hear our call god oh god Chris oh my god that's Chris, like that's you... the that's the singing equivalent of Gillington missing <laughs> oh god um we have oh to point god. out yeah Davey Davey's doing this project for um for the food bank raising money for the food bank getting loads of fans to yeah. to um email in to uh to sing to sing oh god I can't I can't even speak we have to use the word singing in the very loosest possible sense don't oh. we because that wasn't singing oh dear that's ruined what has otherwise been a very positive 24 hours <laughs> but please check out uh, Davy Craig yeah and the and the food bank you'll 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 find details of that but oh that was absolutely that's awful i think you'll all join uh, join me in saying to chris chris that was fucking terrible don't ever do that again <laughs> I was very self-conscious doing it because I also realised that before 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 we recorded the Here game yesterday, George and Ollie both said to me that when I record things, particularly at the match, that my voice goes very even more squeaky than it is normally, and it does. <laughs> and and when Davey asked me to record this, he said to put headphones in and then play the actual tuning behind, so I couldn't hear myself. And then just listening back, I do sound ridiculously sweet. So that was like take forty as well. So God knows yeah, what Jordan, take one was yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, God almighty. Right, I think that there's no better place to leave it than there, to be honest. Uh, what a week in Newcastle United land. Two wins off the belt. Uh, thanks very much, George. And thanks a lot, Chris, especially for that last bit. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to be hearing that in my nightmares from now on. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, don't forget that 33% discount is back. You can get a third off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. We'll be back next week. Look after yourselves and each other. Take it easy. Enjoy the excitement and the freedom and the feeling of victory. Cheerio. Athletic.